Hey there, horror movie fans. Welcome to Here's Nini Horror Movie Podcast. As we ring in the new year, today's episode, I'm going to be addressing my favorite horror film of 2019. But in order to do so, I will first need to address my favorite horror movie of 2018 that correlates with one another as a type of partner piece. Ari Aster's two masterpieces, Hereditary and Midsommar. Hereditary takes us on this journey into our connection with grief and inevitably death. While Midsommar is an ascension that deals with healing, even though it's in a very unconventional, macabre manner. So, let's jump right in. When looking at Hereditary, a distressed and strained supernatural horror film that relies on this ritualistic calamity incorporating experiential vulnerability. Hereditary begins with the Graham family at the funeral of Annie's mother, Ellen, where we are not given any background knowledge of the characters or the events that have transpired prior. As the audience, we are given pieces to put together through the portrayal of the characters in their dialogue. While the heavy usage of imagery foreshadows the film's inevitable consequence. I mean, if we take a look at the scene in Peter's class where his teacher is discussing Sophilis' play, Women of Trachis, which is about a hero named Hercules who receives these signs that predict his ultimate demise by dint of his wife, which he chooses to disregard. Then the teacher goes on to talk about another Sophilis' play, we all know as Oedipus Rex, who was prophesied to kill his father and marry his mother, so he decides to run away to avoid the fulfillment of the prophecy. Although those were not his real parents, and that his real parents knew about the prophecy way before him, and deserted him as a child. Though on his journey he unwittingly fulfills the prophecy and goes on to gouge his eyes out in despair. Now, putting all this into consideration, when looking at the film through a mental illness lens, it is highly encouraged if you see the signs of trouble. Do not ignore them. But the teacher does question, is it more or less tragic that the prophecy was inevitable? And of course it is, since these characters go on to believe they are in control, but in reality, they never did. They're a lost cause. All of this literally mirroring much of the events that are taking place in the film. But of course, Peter is too distracted by the girl he is crushing on who inadvertently leads him to the party we are about to get into. Oh, the dramatic irony. When taking a glimpse at the poster that was advertised for Hereditary, first impressions, you believe the protagonist of the movie is Charlie, who is Annie's daughter. Until... Peter goes to the house party to impress the girl previously mentioned in his class. You see, Charlie is highly allergic to nuts and gets a hold of some cake. With you guessed it, nuts. As she is going into an anaphylactic shock, Peter rushes her to get help. Charlie, being normal, is gasping for air, so she sticks her head out of the window. And well, 
decide she was going to head into a different direction. Let me tell you guys, this next scene, till this day, it has never left my head. No matter how many times I watch it, it, no, those next five agonizing minutes felt like a complete lifetime. Not only did I have my mouth wide open the entire time, but I don't even think I was breathing. Especially later on when we see the grotesque head covered in ants. Peter drives home as he wallows lifeless and gets into bed, numbing himself from the actions that have just transpired. Annie finds Charlie's remains off screen, letting out one pungent scream. While our eyes are still gauged on Peter, who only prayed it was all a dream. Now, this was quite interesting to me. At Charlie's funeral, there is this atmosphere of true woe and deep adoration for Charlie that was not seen in Ellen's funeral. That was quite tense, since both the audience and the main characters felt this disconnect. Society views family as this positive safety net for us, but animosity can still be present, especially during difficult times or through opposite views. You see, Annie does all she can to never imitate the actions of her mother, who was oppressive over Annie and extremely controlling. That one image of Ellen that stares into our soul is an extreme example of how she may be dead, but she is still manipulating every aspect of their lives. Annie's miniatures are her own way of grieving, displaying traumatic moments in her life, taking the control back. But looking at it from slightly different lens, the miniatures actually mirror into reality. The family are puppets in the grand scheme of things, always being played to the favor of the cult. Like the miniatures, the family is framed for all to see. No intimacy is spared. We have literally been dropped into a Hitchcock film. <laughs> With all this being said, we learn that all the events that have happened were put together by Ellen's cult to release the soul of the demon lord Payman from the now deceased Charlie to a male host, Peter. You see, Peter is the real antagonist. Unlike first impressions and advertisements had me to believe, I mean, after the death of Charlie, Annie begins to fear Peter. Although it was an accident. And, I mean, she was killed off at the very beginning of the movie. We see Peter shift to complete vulnerability since he feels he has slowly lost his once affectionate family and has hit total isolation which his father has lost full dominance over his family and his mother tells him she can't even protect him anymore since she couldn't protect her own daughter and that she can no longer make the suffering go away from Peter. Annie has just bared this burden and responsibility of her children, which traditionally mothers endure. This was probably the most awkward dinner I have ever witnessed. And I wasn't even there. This movie literally made me feel uncomfortable the entire time. But that's what makes this so realistic. 
in a very unapologetic manner. Annie may be attending these therapy sessions to avoid following down the path of her family's history of depression, but the outcome of life cannot be determined, and none of us are in control of what's to come. You can't escape family. You can't escape who you are. Some things are just hereditary. And once Annie finds out this was all orchestrated for Peter to become possessed by payment to rule over the cult, us as the audience and the Graham family now must go back and re-examine it all. What I mean is, when we go back to watch it again, we won't exactly look at it through the family's eyes, but by the cult's luring within the shadows, watching each small plan take effect, leading to their ultimate goal, while leading to the whole family's demise, especially Annie, who hangs, saws herself in the end. All this going back to relating to the demise of Oedipus. In the end, Hereditary is a story about an everyday family facing their share of calamity while trying to face the demons that we all oppress. Although just a broken family, the love they felt for each other was strong. We learn to reflect on this purpose here, our purpose in our families and our significance that leads us to our understanding that in the game of life, we will never achieve victory. A year later has passed and we are blessed with a follow-up release known as Midsommar. Do you know how many free websites I had to go through to find it? Midsommar contains extreme differences in narrative and rhetorical identity. Many analysts have referred to it as a spiritual sequel. Midsommar follows Danny, whose sister suffered from mental illness, has committed a murder-suicide with her parents, leaving Danny stuck in the cycle of grief. She no longer feels anybody is left to care for her. She then goes to Sweden with her substandard boyfriend, Christian. His name can be looked at as symbolic if you think about it and his group of friends to visit the Midsommar Festival that only takes place once every 90 years on the hottest day. If you were to pay attention to the opening credits of Midsommar, the mural present lays out the entire plot in front of you. Similar to Hereditary, the devil's in the details, and once figured out, the story reveals itself. One way I noticed this was a follow-up film was the sorrowful atmosphere in the beginning of Midsommar that compared to the end of Hereditary. But as the plot is driven, we learn Midsommar, unlike Hereditary, is aiming to retain control. Not of death, but of our emotions towards it. Now, Ari Aster said it himself that this is a breakup movie. Just a lot more morbid. You see, Christian has lost that pure compassion and sincerity towards Danny, but is too cowardice to just end it. Most people point to Christian as the antagonist since we see the lack of communication towards him and Danny manifest throughout the movie. 
by not disclosing to one another, it only continues to put everyone in a peril since Christian and his friend Josh are just exploiting for their thesis and Mark thinking the sacred tree is a toilet, which inevitably leads to their deaths. That American ignorance and negligence once again. But back to just Christian and Danny, we see them slowly distance even more than they already were, with no true dramatic event taking place. I know that Christian means well, but one thing I've learned in life is that once you lose that empathy, caring nature for one, it could be a positive or a negative. Positive in the sense that, you know, you're more likely not to go back into a very toxic relationship but negative because you're left with your own selfish nature that you become ignorant this is inevitably christian's downfall and he is basically the reason for his own demise now unlike hereditary midsummer isn't much of an open book i mean we are told to believe it is but this is seen from the cult and Danny and Christian's relationship prior. Now, the cult in Midsommar actually has real aspects from history, unlike the supernatural approach in Hereditary, although both pagan cults. What's so fascinating about the cult in Midsommar is that all of their traditions are seen to be customary to them, especially when we get to the scene where the two elders, who I believe were of the age 72, plunge to their deaths off the cliff in a belief known as Erishtupa. They see this as a way for people to learn to accept death instead of coming from natural occurrences that hurt others around them as well, until an elder doesn't die and is mercy killed. Danny's reflection on this is quite negative since at the end of the day, it's suicide. And Danny is triggered back to the tragedy of her family and how that method isn't always valid. Before I continue, majority of the time in the film, everyone was on drugs. This only heightens everyone's senses and emotion or emotional vulnerability if we look at it towards the end. When Christian gets drugged, pleasurely objectified, and is left feeling fearful of how helpless he is. He is pushed away from reality, and for that split second, finally has given into that existential isolation that Danny encountered the whole film. This is a life lesson for those soul suckers who always believe life is out to get them and that everyone else's problems aren't to the same extent as theirs. You see, we will never fully understand the experiences of one another, but we must learn to be there as a means of support and not abuse that support. Anyway, in contrast, while all this is going on, Danny gets crowned May Queen, and the cult becomes Danny's support group she had been longing for, which leads us to the end where Christian has become paralyzed, both mentally and physically, and is used as solace for Danny, while he is stuffed in the body of a bear, symbolism, and burned with others willingly or unwillingly. 
although the cult is flawed since their prophecies continuously change depending on them. Yeah. And contradicts their own beliefs since they believe in healing, but uses others' pain and suffering to reach that state. In the end, this is why religion or these type of systems are so prevalent. It's a way of comforting the soul during hardship and teaches us it's okay to have others by you when you need help. In both films, we learn that as much as you try, no one can prepare themselves for death. Whether it was unexpected or predicted in advance, there is still that unknown afterwards. I mean, even if we look at the elders that died, you can see their hesitation and fear in their eyes. But death is inevitable. So, I guess you can say family is its own cult. No matter who you call family, and will always be genuine in their intent and surround you with love, which brings about that peace that is needed. So maybe not all cults are bad. I mean, I wouldn't mind others sincerely crying loudly with me and maybe acting a bit bizarre. <laughs> Shoot. I would actually say Mitsumar has a happy ending. Danny now has the family she always needed and is protected from the demons that kept her tied down throughout the story. She has now found happiness, which is all she ever wanted. An ending not seen in most horror, but beautiful in its own terrifying way. Go hug your family and tell them you love them. Final note before I go. This was a very hard piece to analyze due to all the symbolism and you know deep and rich story within it, but made it through. I actually had quite an epiphany, so I think Ari Aster might be my favorite 21st century horror filmmaker. Ciao now! <laughs>